0: Here's another bold prediction. By the end of this decade, Roblox is going to have a a bigger market cap than
1: Facebook. Ooh, I like it. (laughs) That's bold. That's that's a good one. That is bold.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What is happening, listener? And welcome to the ninth roundtable episode of the Metacast. The podcast in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Ras Friedman, CEO of Super Social. How are things at your company on?
0: You know, these are exciting times. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to, uh, to be here again, and uh, things are going well. We got a few projects uh, in development, and I'm very excited about what we're going to bring to the Roblox platform in, in the next few months.
2: That's awesome. And how's being a new parent?
0: It's a humbling experience, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's—it's. It's, I think it teaches me every day about unconditional love and unconditional commitment.
2: Yeah, that's the thing I keep hearing. Awesome. All right. Next up, we have Pierce Kicks, Mr. Crypto at Bitcraft. Pierce, where are you calling us from? Because you're on a business trip, right?
1: Yeah, I'm currently in Lisbon. I was in Paris for ECC last week, but uh, visiting uh, some Bitcraft and some Delphi comrades in, uh, in Lisbon at the moment.
2: Nice. Awesome. All right. And finally, we have Abhi Manu Kumar, co-founder of Navik. How's life, Manu? Long, it's a long time since you've been on the pod, right?
3: Yeah, it's been long. Uh, just pretty busy, you know, building and uh, trying to find time to hop onto the pod with everybody. Uh, this is, of course, a lot of fun. So glad awesome. I could make it this time.
2: Great to have you, man. All right. In today's episode, we will be discussing how to invest in the play-to-earn space, Facebook's big plans with the metaverse and then the threats of the Chinese Communist Party over Chinese gaming companies. First topic, investing in the play-to-earn space. So first of all, this is not financial advice, so please do your own research before aping into some kind of fishy project that might be a scam. And uh, yeah, second of all, my apologies for again talking about play-to-earn and blockchain. We've been touching upon this for like I feel like five episodes in a row now. Um, so if you think that we should skip the subject for a bit, let me know. If you like us to keep exploring that space, because it's so damn interesting, hit me up or tw- on Twitter or LinkedIn um, with your thoughts and questions, and uh, I might just do that. All right. So play to Earn has been exploding over the past months. I've, or, I've said that like five times in the past episodes. And some people have been making a shit ton of money. And other people or same people have also been investing a shit ton of money. Um, Janie for example told us that people have bought NFTs for their game called Mirandas and so the game doesn't even exist yet and they've paid more than 1 million dollars some people anyway I thought it'd be interesting for the investor crowd that listens to this show to uh, go over the the different ways to get exposed to this new phenomenon because um Things can get quite complicated when you have like NFTs, you have governance tokens, you have other non-governance tokens that have utility in the game, etc. Uh, and so I thought, who better to talk about this than Mr. Crypto in the Metaverse himself, Pierce? So Pierce, please share with us your wisdom.
1: Well, first of all, I'm shocked that you had to apologize for bringing up play to earn again. It's, uh, you, you, <laughs> you can't start with that. Um, but um, <laughs> Um, we're just bringing yeah. the
3: rabbit hole to the podcast so. yeah, <laughs> that's true
1: um but yeah no obviously obviously it's super exciting around the whole crypto game space you know there are, are sort of significantly more opportunities for investment than traditional games um, you know, both from the investor, your traditional investor perspective and also, you know, sort of retail investors looking to get exposure to games that they're excited about, um, you know, whether that's sort of land, uh, game assets themselves, the sort of characters in the context of Axie that you can breed and sort of battle and whatnot. Um, the tokens, you know, some games, again, Axie has sort of two tokens, both an in-game currency and a, and a governance token around it. And then there's even other opportunities, you know, sort of n- n- another layer up like these, uh sort of meta tokens that operate across multi multiple games now things like yield guild and blackpool which was which we touched upon last time i believe um but yeah i mean largely you kind of um you know belong to one or the other camp is what um we 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 typically sort of look for in in these different game projects um you know you either go the sort of pure play equity route um where you may still be able to have some kind of crypto integrations around nfts and game assets or whatnot um Mm -hmm. but that obviously precludes um, investment, you know, from anyone that's sort of (sighs) non-accredited. I still think that one of the exciting things about this is is the uh, scale of participation from the communities around these things. generally speaking it's it's like um often cleaner where it's like either or right so either uh, everything goes to the sort of equity side or everything flows through tokens in some capacity otherwise you have these kind of value accrual conflicts where um you know it's not exactly clear how the sort of value is being being split across those two Mm -hmm. um but um yeah i mean you know we discussed this uh, a few a few weeks ago as well but um, I think one of the one of the super interesting models that um, you know we've seen a lot lately is the concept of the governance token right whereby mm-hmm. fees are extracted from a game economy um, in sort of various contexts either you know breeding fees marketplace fees um, maybe fees on, you know, leveling up plots of land, it kind of varies by game and context. Uh, People are free to get creative with these, but they'll flow to an on-chain treasury uh, over which sort of, to to clarify, an on-chain treasury is basically, you know, all of these funds go and sit in a sort of smart contract that, Token holders um, have governance and voting power over, right? Um, So they basically get to decide what happens with those resources. Um, So often, you know, this might manifest as a sort of dividend for people that stake their tokens and decide they want to receive sort of cashbacks, almost from from that treasury. It can manifest as people, um, you know, voting to buy more of the governance token on the open market and obviously then drive the sort of circulating supply down and and, and the value up. Um, Or, you know, it might be sort of uh, game expansions and, you know, new developers or developer grants coming into the ecosystem to keep extending this universe of, of, of sort of IP, which is... You know what i think will ultimately see something you know like actually evolve to there's now 200 million dollars sitting in one of these on-chain treasuries and and people are the game community are now going to decide what that sort of looks like um but then yeah i mean there are the sort of more vanilla um token implementations you know Going down to sort of basic um, medium of exchange token where effectively you need to own this token to transact within the game ecosystem. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of the view that we can do a lot more with these tools, with these tokens. So um, generally we should be, you know, thinking uh, uh, as creatively as, as possible about, you know, how they can be leveraged and, and, and sort of what for. Um, but yeah, um, I'm obviously a proponent of uh, the, the token angle where possible in this space. I think. Um, Tokens are sort of dramatically more efficient for capital formation and and deployment um, while being, you know, significantly more transparent for everyone involved. Um, I think properly tokenized games are operating on this sort of global financial infrastructure that's native to the Internet, you know, from the get go. So your addressable universe of investors from the the developer perspective is, is massively expanded. Um so yeah, kind of kind of think that model is gonna ultimately become a lot more pervasive um, but yeah as as it stands, I mean, we're seeing a, a a large blend of both really across the across the space um but yeah, increasingly, I think people are gonna start moving more towards the token angle
2: mm-hmm. um so you probably spend some time, you know, looking at different projects, um, in the gaming space and thinking about what tokens you might invest in. Um, could you tell us about, um, like what are some important points for you when, when analyzing projects?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the most important filters at the moment is just given, um, some of the, the, I guess, starting with the whole NFT hype and now Axie blowing up, like, um, Increasingly, there are, um, you know, sort of more traditional developers that have deeper game experience starting to explore this space. Um, But I still can't stress enough, like a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the tooling um, to sort of abstract away the need for, you know, actual blockchain coding knowledge, effectively being able to write solidity and whatnot. We're not there quite yet. Um, so for me, it's super important that, you know, these people do have a demonstrable sort of track record and understanding around the crypto space, being able to yeah write contracts and solidity and, and you know, actually having some hands-on experience around this stuff because you know it is new technology um i don't think i don't think you can sort of just move across um you know straight away and, and and pick it up just yet there are still some teething issues and you definitely need to accumulate a few of those uh battle scars along the way in terms of crypto understanding for that side of things um otherwise i mean you know just innovative combinations of these very sort of modular tools and building blocks like the cool thing you know we always bang on about this whole composability dimension right um you see projects again like yield guild i think is a really interesting combination of um you know multiple bits of technology such that you know it's not even a a game in itself right it's operating across multiple of them Mm -hmm. something like that that um kind of when you see it you're like damn yeah that makes sense this seems almost self-evident we're starting to see interesting combinations of things like that um some of which i'll i'll, I'll be able to share uh, at some point soon i suppose um mm-hmm. but yeah i think at the moment there's there's kind of that venn diagram of crypto developers and game developers and looking for that sort of intersection of the two, right, that have experience in both is is super important. Um, so, yeah, largely looking around that. And, I mean, in terms of game devs moving into the space, I think just that sort of intellectual curiosity and genuine eagerness to learn how one might push the boundaries of these things and sort of combine them in the right way, um, I think, you know, that's definitely something I look for. And the other thing that's just super important, which is kind of an extension of that, is just, you know, having a clear understanding of some of the trade-offs that are made in terms of technology choice. Um, there's now a bunch of well-capitalized companies that are offering super attractive developer grants and whatnot, um, which is fine and you know can be exciting. But like, um, yeah, I think, as I say, just just strong understanding of the trade-offs in terms of tech stack and, and where you sit in the ecosystem. Um, that's um, yeah, largely, largely uh, some of the conversations I've been having lately.
2: Mm-hmm. And what are some red flags for you?
1: um red flags on that side i guess (laughs) kind of on the point i I just made there um i think yeah some of that sort of more short-term thinking um is 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 easily exposed around yeah what can start to feel a bit opportunistic in terms of moving across and 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 jumping into this whole trend um uh i think yeah not having not having that sort of hands-on experience not having the, the, the the deep understanding like founders moving into this space we want to have a strong opinion right we want like we're happy to sort of recommend and 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 help guide in terms of you know tech stack and token economics and where you can sort of in- integrate these mechanics in an interesting way but it's significantly um you know better if 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 these founders and these teams are coming with uh you know uh, a strong opinion at least and um yeah some some informed opinion on that side at least
0: hmm.
2: um what would you say so most of the listeners to this podcast are more from the gaming and less from the crypto space. Um, let's say some of them are thinking about starting a new company and are intrigued by this play-to-earn blockchain NFT gaming uh, kind of space. Let's say that they already have some core team that has some experience working together uh, purely building games and they're interested in exploring this this opportunity. How would you advise them to, to approach that?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think there's already an incredibly large amount of interesting material out there, um, you know, to, to familiarize yourself with. I mean, you know, the OpenSea blog has some awesome intros to a lot of this stuff. The Blockchain Game Alliance has been running for a long time now with a you know strong sort of content schedule churning out a bunch of interesting discussions amongst key people around the industry. Um, I think it's it's all out there, Um, all all, all the sort of resources to familiarize. I think definitely, you know, taking a deep dive at at some of the sort of successes we've seen so far. Strong understanding of sort of what made the Axie economy tick and um, how that community formed. Um, You know, I think these are all um, useful first steps for sure. And then I think, yeah, just getting a, a broad understanding of these different ecosystems, Obviously there's, you know, you've got Ethereum, you've got Solana looking interesting, you've got Flow. I think having a, having a good understanding of where they all sit relative to each other and and kind of the pros and cons of each is a sensible first step. Um, And yeah, as I say, I think uh, all the resources for doing so uh, are already out there for, for anyone sort of willing to look. I um, also keep a, keep a resource list recommended resource list. If anyone uh, is interested, feel free to, free to hit me up for that.
2: Awesome. Uh, Manu, would like to have your thought. You know, you're an expert in kind of the mobile games free-to-play space. How do you look at play-to-earn right now? What's your feeling?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it's uh, it's pretty interesting, uh, and the opportunity that it unlocks, uh, especially you know, shown with the Axie in- Axie Infinity and Yilgil and that entire documentary about what happened uh, in the Philippines. To me, all that is just very, very interesting. I guess one thing that I would call out is, from just from like a game design perspective, um, I think one cannot understand the importance of the trading economy aspect in in these games. And I mean, sure, you know, there's a there's a, the token economics design etc. that would need to be done. But in terms of like the fundamental trading economy design if you're talking about a resource that you want on the team to actually you know uh, implement that i feel somebody who is actually able who has like understood how trading economies work in games mm-hmm. would be a, a pretty key person to have in the team and then you know combining that knowledge with uh, the token part of it or the crypto part of it and fusing these two uh, knowledge bases together would be pretty important because I think if you were to like do an analysis of you know um, what is kind of driving up the ARPs of these games, and if you were to compare Axie Infinity to an, like another turn-based RPG in mobile, there's a pretty big portion of it that is actually driven up by the trading economy aspect of things and how mm-hmm. that works. And um, yeah, and if that didn't exist, then you know yeah. I'm not sure if like the ARPU would actually be uh, uh, that impressive so um, I mean the other, other things are also like you know things like moving prices for, for the assets that are being sold etc uh, in, a, in a live marketplace but, but yeah that trading economy aspect is pretty pretty important and the part that has not really existed in mobile games uh, very broadly is you know the trading economies part of things this has existed in some games And some games are, like some game designs in certain genres are inherently fertile for, you know, hosting these kinds of trading economies. But not all game genres are also. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean those genres cannot be fertile for it. You just need to find a fitting design. But just that it's not been explored very deeply, uh, at least in the mobile gaming space. Mm -hmm. Um, So... So, yeah, for me, like that would be like a very critical factor for anyone, you know, who is maybe transitioning from mobile games into uh, starting up a blockchain uh, gaming company. Uh, I feel you should have this game designer who is able to understand trading economies and, you know, design them for the style of game that uh, they're making. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, if you've seen a lot of games with economies, have them had them, you know, shattered by hyperinflation um, or other problems. That's not easy designing an economy from scratch. Um, Jan, what are your thoughts? You're uh, you're building a company. Obviously, you're in Roblox, so no, not a lot of crypto there yet. But uh, how do you look at this space?
0: Well, I think there's I think there are a few things um, that are not mutually exclusive, right? They see a lot of kind of deterministic arguments, free to play is over, now it's play to earn. You know, I'm like, nothing is over, right? The world is more complex. People are more complex. And I think not everything about games and interactive experiences is going to be about earning, right? The world, people Mm -hmm. watch movies not because they earn anything. People watch movies Mm -hmm. because it's fun. People play games because it's fun. I think free to play and play to earn don't necessarily, they're not mutually exclusive. You Mm -hmm. can have a free to play game and you play a game you like, and that's great. And there might be games and experiences that where a play-to-earn or uh, a player-owned trading economy makes sense. And and I think we're, at, in my mind, we're at the very early stages of uh, play-to-earn in the context of crypto. But trading economy already exists in other platforms. Roblox has a trading economy, right? You may not own the asset fully, and you mm-hmm. can take it from Roblox to outside platforms, right? Like you would win in a on a blockchain environment. But that doesn't mean that it's not a thriving trading economy. Actually, Roblox is a trading economy. It's probably one of the biggest and most effective in, in, in interactive media and entertainment at the moment, definitely mm-hmm. in gaming. Um, and and it's a it's a it's a it's a very successful economy so far. Um, and I would I would I w- I believe not only because I'm building on the Roblox platform. Uh, But just just because I think it makes sense, I believe that Roblox at some point will introduce um, mechanics that give a bigger sense of ownership of the assets that players uh, get on the platform. Uh, Now, does that something that they will be able to take off Roblox to other platforms? That goes back to that interoperability vision that people have about Mm -hmm. the metaverse. Oh, you're going to have things on Epic, you're going to have things on blockchain, you're going to have things on Roblox, and you're going to move it around from everywhere. Come on, mm-hmm. like, this is not really going to be simple to do. Every mm-hmm. company has its own economy. Um, they have their own incentives. They need to protect and grow that economy. Um, and so I think the reality is going to be way more complex. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Facebook later on, but mm-hmm. but you know, open platforms, closed platforms, both are going to exist. <laughs> there's going to be great use cases for play to earn on open platforms, on blockchain, and there's going to be great play to earn um, opportunities on closed platforms, right? Roblox you would argue already has a play to earn as well is, as part of its trading economy. Um, it's just less buzzy because it doesn't have crypto in it. Uh, and, and so w- w- kind of my bottom line is um, we're very early stage in my mind in the play to earn as a mechanic. I think it's very attractive for a certain type of audience, certain type of players. Um, I think it's very attractive philosophically that people can make money and get a job and, and, and make income just playing games. I think that's all great. I, I'm, I'm personally very attracted. The bigger concept that as a company builder in the space, I am fascinated by and definitely keeping an eye and learning much more about is the concept of community economy. Um, And in that regard, I think companies like Forte, companies like Mythical Games, I'm very intrigued by the platforms that some of those companies are building to enable more game companies, developers, publishers to come into the space. Um, And at the end of the day, let's not forget, with all of the excitement around play to earn, which I think is great, at the end of the day, lasting experiences need to be fun. When you talk about games and when you talk about interactive experiences, they need to be fun. And I'm not picking up on any particular game at the moment on, on the blockchain. Uh, uh, and, you know, there is a bunch of Axie, of course, is the most well known at the moment. But at the end of the day, if you look at some of the most successful franchises uh, uh, ever existed from you know Super Mario and, and onwards, these are lasting, lovable, engaging brand franchises. That continuously manage to create experiences that are loved by people. Uh, and I think if you want, it's, it, regardless if it's a play to earn, free to play, or a combination of the two, I think that's what a continue is going to be really, really important. And, and I, I, I love what we're starting to see with Axie and other companies. As I said, very curious about Forte.io, very curious about Mythical Games and the NFT platform they're building. Um, and I believe ultimately there are going to be some open platforms, there are going to be some closed platforms. But I think a sense of ownership in a community economy, either if it's open or closed, I believe that's definitely the direction these platforms are going.
3: Yeah, actually, I also want to kind of hit on this point of, you know, finding that balance between the fun and the finance <laughs> part of the whole thing. It's it's actually a topic that has been coming up quite often in my conversations with designers in this space, at least, that if you attach a financial incentive to like everything in the game, how does that Work with you know designing for fun, and especially in the future, if you know the mobile game designers of today are going to be building the blockchain games or you know the play-to-earn games uh, of the future. Yeah, there'll be a lot of like unlearning and relearning of you know uh, free-to-play best practices uh, that have to like fit in this new context now, where everything kind of has a financial incentive. So. Um, sure like you know when things have a financial incentive maybe that uh, improves the retention quite a bit etc but to keep that trading economy running you need to create the engagement in the game and the engagement in the game will only come from the game being fun mm-hmm. first um so it's a it's a pretty interesting discussion uh, or yeah it, even a debate uh, right now in the space something for the next episode perhaps yeah probably for the <laughs> <next episode. laughs>
2: I, I just think that I just think that the bigger concept
0: outside of play to earn, in my in my opinion, is is community economies and and, and ownership of assets in the in the virtual space, um, and where that is going. What are the opportunities? And what are the opportunities? Not just to make money, but what are the opportunities to create ever more immersive, expansive virtual worlds where people want to spend their time? I think that to me, the 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 kind of the the soft concept of the metaverse, places where people want to congregate, they want to socialize, they want to play. Some of it sometimes is going to be pure fun. Some of it is going to be sometimes pure money. And some of it will be at the intersection of both. And guess what?
1: Probably it's all fine. All of them should coexist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally, totally agree with all of that. Um, Don't think, as you said earlier on, that the the free-to-play stuff and anyone telling you that free-to-play is dead and it's play-to-earn here think it's a silly take. Definitely not mutually exclusive. I think, um, you know, these things can all evolve as part of, a you know, a growing space. Um, also agree with the comments there. I mean, Plato earns a manifestation of, um, you know, an interesting economic feedback loop, if you want, which can help sort of bootstrap adoption and, and stimulate engagement. But... You know, we're still just scratching the surface of these tools, realistically. Um, We've only just had the first sort of breakout, which anyone's even paying attention to, despite, (laughs) you know, many people messing around in the space for for a good few years now. Um, But yeah, I think definitely the, uh, you know, the broader concept of digital property rights enabled by these blockchain-based items and whatnot is is definitely very compelling when we start talking about, you know, people creating and consuming even more value digitally. So I'm excited to see what comes from that. And I... uh, Guest leads us on to, uh, I'll, I'll let Nick, our host, actually.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, you, you do your own podcast, right? I can, I can hear yeah, you. Well, yeah, apparently. Completely ready. Piers <laughs> right.
3: is going back to his roots. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's taking over, man, this guy. Um, all right, so yeah, th- thank you for that, Interop It was perfect. So uh, next topic, you know, interoperability in the metaverse. Uh, let's talk about Facebook. So uh, last week, The Verge did an interview with none other than Mark mister zuck zuckerberg um, and so he said that his um, that the metaverse was his vision from our shared digital future already from a young age before facebook um, and so his goal is to have Facebook to be seen as a metaverse company instead of a social media company um, and so I've always been a fan of Facebook from a business perspective, not necessarily uh, from an ethical perspective, but uh, what do you guys think of of his his claim that he's going to be building or co-building the metaverse with uh, with the rest of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, look, I think if you subscribe to the worldview that the metaverse is essentially the evolution of the internet, uh, which I subscribe to, um, and, and what I mean by that, it's it's the next layer of the internet as a global utility, and it's going to be ever more expensive, ever more immersive, ever more social, ever more interactive, at large scale, um, with the ability to reimagine those experiences because of the evolution of devices, anywhere from mobile phones to VR, AR, consoles, PC, autonomous vehicles. The day we're, we're going to play immersive games inside autonomous vehicles is not far away. So. Any, any physical setup, you'll be able to access the next generation of the internet, right? So, so, so in a way, the metaverse is the new internet or the next internet. Um, Mm. and you know, Mark talks about it. Matthew Ball, who I'm a big fan of, has been talking about it and been prolific writing, prolifically writing about it, um, Mm. expanding on what the metaverse is in terms of what are the different components that comprise the metaverse and what are the companies and the technologies that are relevant for that. And so I think it's very natural. Uh, for someone like Mark Zuckerberg, running one of the biggest technology companies in the world, to essentially state that Facebook is going to move from a social media company to a metaverse company, because if you go back twenty, twenty-one years ago, every tech company was an internet company. People used to say, "I'm building an internet company." Tech company mm-hmm. came later. It wasn't mm-hmm. a tech company. That wasn't the jargon. I mean, I was a teenager, you know, late '90s, but I remember the conversation, and it was. I'm building an internet company. No one says today I'm building an internet company. It's very AOL-ish to say Mm -hmm. I'm building an internet company. So so I think saying, you know, I'm going to build a metaverse company, I believe is probably ahead of something that is happening. And I think in the gaming world, Epic, Roblox are already saying they're building a metaverse platform. And so I think it's very natural for Zuckerberg, maybe... You know, Snapchat uh, is gonna come soon and say, you know, we're, we're becoming a metaverse company. Uh, and so I think it's very natural for someone like Zuckerberg to come and say that. I'm not surprised because look, if you're Mark Zuckerberg and you're running Facebook and you have made this incredible, incredibly successful and effective transformation from a web company to a mobile company, plus the acquisition of, Sna- of, of Instagram and WhatsApp, mm-hmm. Um and so and now it's investing such a huge amount of capital into VR and, and AR, I think it's very natural to say we're gonna be a metaverse company. And and look, I mean you gotta give the, the guy credit for what he's built, what he's done. Uh he's mm-hmm. obviously a visionary, a pioneer, and also he has extraordinary amount of capital and some of the best talent you can find in engineering to help build those experiences. Having said that, having said that, um now it's coming. I believe that the metaverse and what will be winning products, experiences, and services in the metaverse, I'm betting more on rising companies, early stage startups, new companies that haven't been born. Uh, Of course, I'm betting on super social to imagine how experiences in the new internet are going to look like um, across these opportunities, across these devices, and I'm not certain if Facebook necessarily are going to be the one that is going to imagine what are those best experiences. They can probably end up buying and they will buy a bunch of mm-hmm. different companies who are becoming, you know, at the Instagram stage. Right. Uh, and, but, but I think the, the, I wouldn't necessarily bet that Facebook is going to be the one that will reimagine what the, metaverse, the right metaverse experiences look like. I think Facebook will be one of the most important companies in that realm just because of its size, it, it, mm-hmm. just because of its capture of 3.5 billion people. Half of the world's population are on any of Facebook's services. And because there is an incredible engineering workforce, they have the capital to acquire companies. And so I believe in between Facebook and Roblox and Epic and Microsoft, um, you know, I think those are Snapchat potentially. I think those are some of, I believe, some of the most important metaverse companies uh, at, at the application layer and the technology layer. And I think also in the technology layer, I think a company like NVIDIA is going to play a big part. And of course, you cannot dismiss Google, Apple, and I would even, I would even say Netflix and Disney uh, when it comes to interactive experiences and building digital playgrounds online. Um, so yeah, just just kind of to summarize, um, Zuckerberg knows what he's doing. He knows what it's saying. Uh, it's going to be all about, you know, I like to say execution speaks louder than words. Uh, let's execute. Let's build those next generation experiences. Uh, the wave, everyone can see the wave now. The wave is big. It's huge, and there are many, many, many surfers on the wave. It's going to be about who's going to be the best surfer on the wave, and and I'm betting on rising stars. I'm betting on companies like SuperSocial, and I'm excited to see who else is going to be coming to build next generation experiences on the metaverse.
2: That's awesome, Manu. What are your thoughts?
3: So yeah, so I, I was just like. Uh... I just like went through word by word that interview he did with I think it was Casey Newton, uh, and um, <clears throat> and I was trying to like compare it to uh, you know what Janie called out in a previous episode where she said that uh, Zuckerberg also said in 2012 that Facebook is going to be a mobile company, and I was just trying to like compare okay like what is the tone of uh, these two uh, you know these two announcements that he made and the similarities. <laughs> I mean I think there's like a there was a huge similarity in the tone of like how mm-hmm. he you know portrayed uh, this idea uh, and he did execute well in terms of you know uh, uh, in terms of the transformation to the mobile company which means basically a lot of the Facebook revenues are coming from also mobile advertising versus desktop uh, and yes I would say yes it's probably a, a mobile company in that uh, definition but moving towards um, this metaverse company and connecting it back to like the ar vr uh, aspect of it um i i picked out like a couple of quotes which which will kind of justify like my take on it uh, mm-hmm. so the first part of the take i feel is there's a huge like zeitgeist element around it for sure <laughs> when he's talking about it in a public uh, place like that but some quotes were he called it you know the embodied internet totally makes sense, mm-hmm. cross-platform, community plus creators, digital commerce, you know, like, all, uh, and the next set of computing platforms, you know. So to me, like, all of that was all the zeitgeist buzz, buzzwordy stuff. But then deeper in the interview, he get, goes into, um, he starts to explain, like, how Facebook never actually had a role in shaping what the mobile experience is like. And for good reason, because like Facebook was still like kind of coming up during that time. And, you know, Apple was way ahead. But he said, the way he said it is, we have these phones, you know, just like, and this tech is just like super old. And then he also said, mobile phones kind of came around the same time as Facebook. uh, So we didn't really get to play a big role in, you know, shaping the development of the platform. Now, my take is if I was to like condense his whole uh, view on the metaverse in two words, it would be probably full control (laughs) because because they have the tech I mean Oculus the Quest 2 it's a it's a killer piece of hardware at a very affordable price and it's gone wireless all great things Mm -hmm. they have the store uh, aspect of it and the store also has like some very good gaming experiences over there that can expand into you know uh, experiences that go beyond gaming so it could be you know How do we like work together or how do we hang out together just generally and not really game, you know, so it could even go beyond that. But once they have the hardware and the distribution and the hardware is only going to get better, the distribution, they just have to get into the hands of the people and then they have the store aspect of it and then the content will live on the store and the content would then be driven by the developer community that exists, which is then sold to the consumers. To me, like all of that sounds pretty parallel to an Apple iPhone to App Store Mm. experience. So I think, like...
2: Yeah, yeah, because he, in the interview, he was talking about how he thinks, like with the internet, he sees there's going to be two approaches. One is going to be, you know, the very um, open, uh, interoperable, distributed approach. And then the other approach he talked about was the, you know, the walled, the tightly controlled walled garden style. Uh, which you came to describe, but he emphasized that he really wanted to build you know, the first one, the very open and, and interoper- interoperable one. Uh, and so you're saying that you doubt that they'll be doing that?
3: I mean, he didn't talk about whether it's going to be uh, inter-ecosystem interoperability or intra-ecosystem mm-hmm. interoperability. If he has a full store with a lot of apps and a lot of developers contributing to that store, yeah, maybe there would be some interoperability in, in that controlled ecosystem of Facebook. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, I don't know. There there are lots of nuances to what I feel uh, he said. Uh, But, I mean, it still doesn't take away from, you know, just the grandness of that vision, which is very, very commendable. So, that was my take on, like, that whole interview where... I feel like he, uh, <laughs> I feel there's a little bit of a sour grapes feeling for him, where you know, <laughs> he, missed, mean, the, the phone, uh, he missed the phone. He missed the phone. He missed the phone. But you know, uh, VR is uh, just picking up, and mm-hmm. and I mean they have they have the best headset out there mm-hmm. already, mm-hmm. Uh, and they have and they have all the knowledge in building social networks and what actually works over there, and I mean immersive experiences in a VR setting there is no comparison to that right yeah, now yeah. right Absolutely. so um yeah. so they're in a pretty strong position i would say and um yeah yeah pierce what are
2: your thoughts and do you think that perhaps libra has anything to do with uh what he sees as the metaverse
1: <laughs> but, but, but we'll get on to that i guess um yeah i mean obviously it doesn't come as a as a huge surprise you know um i do think this whole metaverse sort of exploration is going to be you know one of the one of the bigger prizes of of the coming decades um You know, we saw a 20th century, a lot of sort of globalization, obviously early web, I think 21st century, we're going to see, you know, so much of, uh, society and and how we operate shift into the new, into this new realm like um, you know it's a very exciting chapter of our of our sort of uh, journey as a digital species um, you know who, who wouldn't want a slice of that pie you know Yum was saying that you know this is kind of a evolution of the internet well I, I I totally totally agree on that front and so you know the companies that were kind of born out of the internet seems very logical that they'd want to want to sort of play here right um, there are relatively few companies who possess the firepower to try and sort of orchestrate and advance into this new, new frontier and uh, Facebook is obviously well positioned you know with Oculus as Manu was just touched upon in this so-called sort of embodied internet um, also also enjoyed that phrase um, I think I think um, I'm still skeptical though largely of it right um, it's important to remember that Facebook is this uh, you know social media advertising giant with a terrible track record where privacy and sort of psychological manipulation are concerned Mm -hmm. i um always feel very dirty using oculus headsets for some reason i feel like they're spying on me constantly and they probably are um and so given the history i i I kind of refuse to you know trust um my instinct says that i don't really trust this idea of you know trending towards community focus and openness i mean yeah they've just folded in those oculus apis and are moving towards the stuff. seeming to actually be serious about becoming part of some of these standards consortiums on the Oculus side at least um we'll see right but for me I'll bring it up again which is what I always do on the crypto side you know we now live in the world where we don't have to trust people right uh, at all the core tenet of decentralization and cryptography is don't trust verify you know i think a world where the economic sort of backbone and assets, you know, that we just described earlier, the digital property rights and whatnot, where those run on a sort of credibly neutral shared infrastructure that's owned and operated by its users, that's significantly more compelling to me than the Zuckerverse. So I'm still, you know, very intrigued at trying to figure out how these technologies can work in Mm. you know this context i get there's a lot of um pain ahead (laughs) figuring out you know how these things scale and whatnot but i think that's an incredibly exciting thing to strive for um and i still think you know i'm still of the view that blockchain you know in this context is relatively unexplored and is going to is going to ultimately catch a few people by surprise as um i think some incumbents are going to recognize the importance of again that credibly neutral sort of open shared infrastructure and and ultimately gravitate towards it in some form or another um so excited to see how things evolve over the next decade but um i do think um yeah instinctive distrust of the Facebook plans um what Jon was saying earlier as well actually about people who can actually imagine these new worlds I think that that's bang on the money I think uh you know Facebook's track record with Horizon and their attempt at a social VR experience I I must say it hasn't been too exciting um I'm I'm not sure that these are the people to develop the sort of IP and experiences if you like sort of in-house um but Undoubtedly, they have a few pieces of the jigsaw, at least, and uh, you know, obviously, a lot of resources to deploy in this endeavor um, across their sort of gaming, their cloud infrastructure, and whatnot. I'd I'd be shocked if they didn't at least have you know some part to play in this whole world.
2: Mm. I mean, if you control the hardware, uh, you're you have a super strong position. I mean, look look at Apple yep. today, you know. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's tricky. Let's hope for a lesser of a walled garden uh, when talking about the
3: metaverse and Facebook. This is uh, this might be slightly embarrassing, but this is the first time I've heard the term the Zucker was. <laughs> I think that's like, good, huh? <laughs> that's a pretty good way to yeah. uh, summarize, you know, <laughs> his vision with this. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna re-record my
2: intro. I'm coining that <laughs> <laughs> the Zucker was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's move on. Topic three, and, and let's try and keep it relatively short. So the danger in China, if you are an owner of Chinese gaming stocks like Tencent and NetEase um as i am you're having a painful couple of days uh, this week so over the past few days uh Tencent stocks have dropped uh, 18% net ease down 20 Billy Billy down 18% and do you down 12% as well and so um over the past days i've been trying to figure out what happened like why why is this happening and i think um, so from my investigations i i expe- suspect that the causes for this are twofold so first is what happened to Didi So Didi is the Chinese Uber, the ride-hailing company, and they went public a few weeks ago. Um, And so they were first scrutinized by the Chinese regulators um, for cybersecurity um, and have now been removed from WeChat and Alipay uh, following orders from the regulators. Um, And so that is... Uh, I think it's a similar story to what happened to Ant Group, where the regulators were not agreeing with their going public, um, but they they, they still went ahead and and did it. And then, um, so yeah, that's what they get. So they get removed from uh, from these apps. I think they can stay, uh, so people can still use the apps, but they cannot get new, like they cannot make a new account, basically. Uh, And then the the second thing that happened was educational training um, institutions in China. Um, So those are not schools, but they're like tutoring things after school tutoring uh, companies um, are banned from raising money through stock listings and are also banned from uh, foreign capital investments um, and they might even be forced to become nonprofits, which is uh, absolutely insane to me i've uh, invested in a tech education startup which merged with a chinese <laughs> tech education startup and that was very painful for me um, but yeah i mean what does this mean for the the gaming space are you guys concerned what are your thoughts I, look,
0: China is a very complex uh, country, and I think that it's going to take time to, for the dust to settle and see what exactly the Chinese Communist Party planning to do. They're obviously tightening control. Um, they're taking more responsibility for how technology companies shape the lives of, of, of individuals. Uh, I think there's these macro macro elements that are important to understand about China first they want to encourage people to have more children they now they have the three-child policy but the reality is that Chinese cities is becoming more expensive so people need money they need money they need more income right so you need more competitive economy you need more open economy you need to make sure that people can grow and mobility can continue and thrive so people actually are able to pay uh, for having two three kids let alone one mm. um, and so I think there is these mega, mega forces uh, that I think it's not easy to fully understand um, the, the, the rationale behind what the Communist Party is doing. Uh, but, but from a layman perspective, let's say, uh, obviously, these are, these are fundamental shifts in the way uh, Chinese companies are going to be perceived by foreign investors. I mean, mm-hmm. just look at not only the big tech companies like, you know, Tencent and Alibaba, but these educational companies uh, mm-hmm. that have gone down 30, 40, 50% in one day on the, on the stock market in the U S um, in terms of the impact on gaming companies, look, I mean, Tencent is one of the most important game, game, game companies in the world. They're so much more than a game company, but they obviously mm-hmm. invest and they own uh, equity in, in some of the most successful uh, game companies in the world. They fully own Supercell. They fully own, Riot Games um, and they own or minority own dozens, if not hundreds, more game companies. And so um, I don't know yet what the impact is going to be on, on the wider gaming landscape. I think what surely it will continue to be very challenging for non Chinese game companies to enter China. Um, mm. What used to be coming in through a, a local publisher might become more complicated. Uh, because I think the priorities of the Chinese companies will start to be how do we collaborate, survive and coexist mm-hmm. with what the Chinese government want to do. Uh, and I think the jury still out. These are really, really early days of how this is going to play out. Uh, but if China was complicated, now it's twice complicated. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, um, you know, for for me as as, as super social, um, you know, Roblox is, is launching a presence in China. They're launching own the Roblox platform in China. We're obviously captivated by the possibilities for a company like SuperSocial in China. Um, it's the biggest gaming market in the world, in or by orders of magnitude. You cannot just ignore China, but it's also the most complicated business environment, uh, especially when it comes to content publishing because of the mm. censorship and the rules of the government. Uh, and so, the bottom line: I don't know how exactly it's going to play out. It's probably mean it's going to be even more complicated to operate in China. But the one thing that is clear about the Chinese government they have done something pretty remarkable over the last 25 30 years and and so i believe that some sort of an equilibrium will be found with those technology companies some of them some of them you know might not gain uh, and will go and become you know non-profit organizations uh, and you know we're just going to have to wait and see because if the chinese government can wake up one day and say hey all game companies should actually now be non-profit i mean who said that's not going to happen
2: what the is going to happen this is what I'm trying to wrap my hand around. Like, what if that happens? Like, what happens to a supercell, for example? You know, fully owned by a Chinese company. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, Jack Ma
0: used to say, I I, I think he probably said it for a uh, kind of appearance, but maybe he also genuinely believed in it. He used to say that if the Chinese government uh, are going to want to take control of Alibaba, they, they they will be able to do it tomorrow. And, and by the way, it's true. Right. I don't know what's going to be the impact, but the Chinese government can do whatever they want. That's the reality.
2: It's the Chad of Chads man like they can do the anything? Of yeah.
0: You thought King's Landing in, in in Game of Thrones is, is is strong. I mean, this is a whole different <laughs> yeah. volume. Have, have you visited? Chad? Uh, did, did we watch the same series? I'm not
2: sure. Um, but um, yeah, I think I, I must say I'm kind of um, impressed by it, and I kind of think it's it's like from an, as an investor, I'm I hate it. Um, I think you know rationally speaking I, I kind of respect it because you were talking about how you know it's expensive for people to live in China and and so apparently so I, I found this that um, a big part of the budget of people for ki- for kids goes towards tutoring and that is actually one of the reasons why the Chinese decided that you know tutoring should be you know education should be nonprofits shouldn't be making you know money of this uh, there was also a lot of capital going towards this these tutoring uh, companies um, and so yeah that kind of explains it. Um, still as an investor not very
3: happy mind you your thoughts yeah so you know so I'll caveat everything I'm saying by I spent a good solid 20 minutes of research (laughs) on this (laughs) so (laughs) um but I felt like there there were basically like two companies that were, you know, and this is more like the short-term impact of it, but there were kind of two companies that were impacted. There was just like one of, one was just the core companies that are in this space that were impacted. And then there were these like blast radius companies that were impacted. So, mm-hmm. like if you, so, I mean, so even net, NetEase, et cetera, was uh, impacted, right? And, I've, yeah. and if you look at like um, NetEase or Bilibili or, you know... Um, do you, and NetEase specifically, I mean, they are all, they also are making pushes into the education sector, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, NetEase has this, um, has this new product, product line, uh, I guess it's called GUDAO. And I mean, that is the one that that revenue segment of theirs is currently the fastest growing revenue segment for for netties. And um, I mean, uh, just a stat, but they had like 130 percent year over year growth in their uh, latest uh, latest financials. But I mean, and that's like a full suite. It has like learning products and it has all the learning services. And there are some, you know, 16 different things in that. So and if you and the same thing was also there with the Billy Billy, like, I mean, you know, they have the. Uh, the video platform and one of the most popular videos or video uh, styles over there is also these educational forms of content, right? So I feel like all these like blast radius companies have also been affected. And for NetEase, for example, and even Tencent, you know, Tencent has the, the, has WeChat, etc., which is also getting into this kind of, uh, or, you know, there is like educational content even popping up over there. Yeah, if there is any impact to gaming companies and since all these companies are, how do you say diversifying outside of games through this kind of content, then yeah, there would be an impact to even these gaming companies from at least a stock perspective. Mm. <clears throat> but yep. that's that's just like more of an immediate view, but I feel, yeah, long term, long term, it basically comes down to you know, what Yuan was saying, you know it's just another example of the 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 power and the control that the Chinese mm. government has to just, Change what they want at whatever whim you know they have. So mm. uh, it's it's scary to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, Agreed. It's, yeah. So okay, last question to to uh,
2: to close out this topic to each of you: Do you consider China investable? Yes or no? What do you think,
1: Pierce? Well, China and I have had a bit of a falling out since the recent Bitcoin mining ban. Mm. Um, it's not it's not somewhere uh, that we actively sort of look, although um, have done stuff there. Um, Honestly, outside of uh, my circle of competence on that front, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll defer to these guys on their, uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant takes so far.
3: All right, Manu? Um, investable. Yes. I don't know, I I mean, maybe. <laughs> Can I do like 50-50? Pick your battles? <laughs> All right, I'll accept it. How about you, Jan?
0: Look, I'm no, I'm no expert, and there's bigger forces than than what I think I or we understand. And this is not a financial advice. I am personally at the moment avoiding investments in Chinese companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think until the dust settles and you, we have a better understanding of how the Chinese government intends to what, what's going to be the policy around managing their relationships with. Technology and internet companies in in China. Um, I I am optimistic. I think ultimately there is going to be an equilibrium. I think it's good for China, and I think the party understands that. In in in, in my kind of humble opinion, uh, and and I'm just going to wait and see. But because there's an amazing company, Tencent yeah. should play a big role in the emergence of the metaverse, at least in the. In that side of the world, let alone mm. with their investment in other companies in the West. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm holding off for now, but I'm excited to see how it's going to play out. And some of the most incredible companies in in the past, you know, several years came from China when it comes to internet technology, uh, interactive entertainment, gaming. Uh, so, they they will play a big part of the future. I have no doubt.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, we agree on that. Cool. All right. That was China. Finally, I didn't announce this, but we're doing a uh, another bold prediction bonus segment. So uh, let's dive in.
3: Manu, <laughs> what's your bold prediction? My bold prediction was actually something that was touched on in the first topic, <laughs> but <I'll>, uh, <laughs> I didn't talk too much about it because I wanted to keep it as my bold prediction. But uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe on a five-year, five to seven-year timeline, I actually feel that, I, so I completely subscribe to you know uh, free to play and play to earn not being mutually exclusive and I feel uh, play to earn just the concept of it would actually unlock a completely new revenue stream within a free to play context and therefore increase the gaming revenue size pie a lot. So I'm not like a big believer in free to play to play to earn, you know, that mm. I don't think will really happen, but there would be a coexistence of uh, both these models. Um, if it's on the blockchain or or if it's decentralized or centralized, that's up for question, but that would be my prediction. <laughs> All right, Jon?
0: I actually want to make a different prediction about a different thing, more kind of macro. I My, be, my bold bet is by the end of the decade, only one, of the five most valuable technology companies in the world will still be among the five most valuable companies in the world.
2: Nice, so wait, wait, and how many years? Decade, 10 years? By the end of the decade. That's uh, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I get, yeah, okay, okay, I, I can see it. I mean, I think going back, it was always the case, right? Like every 10 years, I guess the top 10 has shifted quite massively. And so you're saying with the emergence of, you know, this new metaverse thing, you think super social is going to be up there, you know, number one, you know, the big boss
0: <laughs> from, your, from, from your mouth to God's ears. But uh, no, look, I agree with you. I think, look, uh, it's hard to see it now when all five are basically north of a trillion dollar valuation, which was unheard of, you know, only 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. But I, I this is my I mean, you asked for a bold prediction. So I'm, I'm trying to be bold.
2: Yeah, that's good. I love it. All right, Pierce. We've already heard one of yours, but I'm I'm sure you have like a you have like a whole list in your pocket. So shoot.
1: All right, um, my other one for today, again on the crypto side. I think we're going to see some AAA games IP that everyone listening uh, is familiar with, um, incorporating some form of crypto. Pro- probably just cosmetic NFTs. Like I don't know, let's say twelve months, or maybe that's not bold enough. Maybe shorter. Um, nice. But yeah, something to that effect.
2: Cool. I like
1: can can I have
0: another bold prediction? Actually. Do the more the better. Let's go. Can, can, I, can I do double double? Here is another bold prediction. By the end of this decade, Roblox is gonna have a, a bigger market cap than Facebook.
2: Ooh. I like <laughs> it. Oh, I like this. That's bold. That's, that's
1: a good one. That is bold. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm I'm,
2: I'm waiting for like a, a Pokemon Go with like NFTs where the Pokemon that you catch are actually, you know, their own entity and you can train them and, and have them. As like in,
1: with actual with actual geodata though. Yeah, like you need to. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I've um, a couple. There's 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 a few things in the pipeline. I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you. I spoiled it. <laughs> okay, you didn't hear this. It's not happening? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your prediction is almost. Maybe everything. there's gonna be Axie,
0: <laughs> Axie Infinity go. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Maybe
1: the community votes that in with that yeah. giant treasury. Let's see, guys. <laughs> That'd be awesome.
2: All right, cool. That's it. That's everything for today. Thank you very much, my dear panelists and listener. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a five-star rating, comment, and subscribe to the show. For more content about the business of games, visit navic.co. And if you have any questions or you wanted to tell us to stop talking about play-to-earn and NFTs and all that stuff, let us know at at navic.co. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I personally hang out in the Reason.fm podcasting app. This was The Metacast by Navic, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Cheers. (laughs)